0: For more discussion on clinical research issues in management of lung cancer, I met with oncology nurse practitioner Ms. Leslie Tyson, who coordinates the clinical lung cancer trials at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Ms. Tyson reviewed two innovative studies that evaluate the impact of preoperative systemic therapy in patients scheduled for surgery, and she began by commenting on a study utilizing bevacizumab and chemotherapy in this setting.
1: They're getting four cycles of chemotherapy with bevacizumab preoperatively. Bevacizumab starts first, and then they, just because we're looking at a response for bevacizumab alone, and then two weeks later, they get cisplatin and docetaxel, and then every three weeks from there, they get the combination of the three.
0: That's a fascinating study. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Is there any case or patient, That you have maybe who's already been through that treatment that we could kind of go through what happened with them
1: sure one man is early 60s he had an early stage lung cancer I think he was initially felt to be a 2a clinically heavy smoking history had quit recently hypertension but no other real comorbidities he's going to be retiring from this job his wife is living in Florida as just when he was diagnosed, they had closed on a house in Florida and were prepared to retire there, or nearly retire there. He's living with his son on Long Island, who's an oral surgeon. He's got a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress in his life. His wife is. Uh, she's also very anxious, very worried about the fact that she might get sick and might get cancer you know, from secondhand smoke from him, that kind of thing. Wow.
0: So she's not a smoker. She's not. That's interesting. So the bottom line is he presented as a patient who potentially at that point when he first presented was surgically resectable at that point. And that would have been been the normal thing that would happen in community practice. Correct. But instead, you proposed to him this research trial, which would evaluate giving systemic therapy before surgery.
1: Which he did not want to participate in.
0: So he didn't go in the trial? He did. Oh.
1: His son was really adamant and encouraged him to participate.
0: So his initial reaction was he wasn't too excited about going in the study?
1: Correct. He just wanted to have surgery.
0: Right. When you discuss the option of being in a study like this, what are some of the advantages to the patient of going in a study like this?
1: You know, I tell them, you know, they're prepared or they know that there's a fairly good chance that even after surgery that additional treatment might be needed after surgery, either chemotherapy or possibly radiation therapy. Very often you have to explain to patients that what you can see on a CAT scan and what you can see on the tests is not necessarily the whole story that once that it's in a lymph node, that there could be cells elsewhere in the body that are not detectable, and that giving chemotherapy hopefully will kill those other cells and also reduce the tumor, making it easier for the surgeon to remove the tumor and get a complete surgical resection.
0: Now, of course, in breast cancer, preoperative therapy is very commonly utilized. There's a lot of clinical trials looking at that strategy, and part of the thinking there is, well, we can say this patient's going to end up getting chemotherapy afterwards. Why don't we give it to him before surgery? We can sort of study what happens in the tissue. We can see what's going on there in terms of clinical response. What about in lung cancer? What do we know about preoperative therapy?
1: Well, there are trials that have shown that preoperative chemotherapy, what they term as neoadjuvant treatment, there are selected trials that show that patients with locally advanced or early-stage lung cancers can have shrinkage of disease and can have the tumor resected, and there are patients who do live longer as a result of that. It's not clear at this time whether neoadjuvant treatment or adjuvant treatment is the better approach.
0: Now, one of the issues about adjuvant therapy, as you mentioned before, is the fact that the patients have had a thoracotomy. They don't seem right. to be able to get therapy in quite as much as we'd like to see them. What about getting, quote, getting the therapy in preoperatively or Are we more successful in that situation?
1: Seems easier to get the planned number of treatments in before surgery. But those patients are carefully watched. If there's any suggestion that the tumor might grow, then, you know, the chemotherapy is stopped and they're reevaluated.
0: Now, what's the specific regimen that you are looking at in this preoperative study?
1: We're looking at the one regimen that I told you about for patients with adenocarcinoma, not squamous cell carcinoma, is the cisplatin, docetaxel, and bevacizumab. The other regimen that we're looking in patients with stage one and stage two disease in patients who either have an EGFR mutation or minimal or never smoking history. They're getting three weeks of gefitinib preoperatively.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to go through the rationale for that study, but why don't we start out with the first study that you mentioned, which is the cis platinum docetaxel bevacizumab trial. Can you kind of talk about the background in terms of, you know, what's been seen with those three agents in general and, you know, sort of what you've observed in terms of this regimen so far in the patients going through the study?
1: Well, cisplatin is known to be effective and is approved for late-stage disease, and it's probably one of the most active medicines to treat lung cancer, and that's been shown over many years. Docetaxel has also been shown to be a very active medicine in lung cancer. It is approved as a single agent in the second-line treatment. So both of these agents together have a good chance of shrinking tumor. Bevacizumab, which works by a different pathway, by blocking the angiogenesis pathway, blocks another pathway, thereby hoping to get better tumor shrinkage.
0: And of course, we know in the metastatic setting that when you add Bevacizumab to it improves
1: um, carboplatin and taxol. It improves survival compared with carboplatin and paclitaxel alone.
0: So I guess, and now we're looking at trials in the adjuvant setting that are going to evaluate bevacizumab. But right. this is a study in the neo-adjuvant setting. You mentioned the fact that he had hypertension coming into this. What happened to his blood pressure once he started to get the treatment, specifically with the bevacizumab?
1: It elevated. And there were days when we had to hold treatment Really, huh. and send him home. You know, as part of a clinical trial, they have strict criteria. So the blood pressure had to be below 150 over 90 if either the systolic or the diastolic was higher than that. You know, we would have them rest and try to get it down. We also, you know, if it was persistent, you know, meaning that we would send them home and have them get their blood pressure checked with their private physician or, you know, at the local drugstore, If it was persistent, we'd have to make changes in their their medicine. And for many patients, we do have to make changes.
0: How about for him?
1: No, for him, we did not.
0: So sort of his baseline situation was fine. It was just that he would pop up a little higher than the trial allowed at times.
1: Right. And we tried to remind him to take Ativan. He used a lot of Ativan for his anxiety. And that use predated us and his diagnosis of lung cancer. And so we would remind him to take out of van at bedtime and in the morning before he came in.
0: Now, you mentioned that his son really was encouraging him to participate in this study. And I guess, you know, when you look at this trial, one of the things that's interesting about it, usually people, when they go into studies, you know, it's more, you know, they want to help the next generation contribute to the cancer problem. But in this situation, you know, you have the fact that he was receiving a drug, specifically bevacizumab, that no way he'd be receiving that or anything like this if he was in routine clinical practice. And, you know, we have no idea whether this is really going to work, but it does hold the option that maybe, you know, he might end up getting a better result if this turns out to be a positive trial. Is that kind of what the son was thinking? Yes. So he really wanted every possible thing that could help his father.
1: Yes. The son, as I said, is a maxillofacial surgeon and very knowledgeable, very caring this meant that his father was moving in with him. Wow. For the next year. And given that the son, you know, felt that this was the best thing for his father and really encouraged him to participate.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, this question of using bevacizumab in the adjuvant setting is being looked at in not just lung cancer, but also colon and breast cancer. Right. And, you know, it's, again, it offers the, pay, it's kind of like, it reminds me a little bit of the Herceptin trials in breast cancer. You know, you never know if it's going to work, but at least right. you, know, you have a shot, there's something new. Right. And it was interesting in colon cancer, the adjuvant bevacizumab study that was done by the NSCBP was one of the quickest trials they ever got done. They put like 2,600 people on in, in two years. And I think what we were seeing was that the docs in practice were saying to the patients, you know, here's a way for you to maybe, you know, try something that actually might really benefit you. I guess a lot of clinical trials don't really hold that promise. You know, they're looking at A versus B. It's maybe not that much different. But here you have a really different kind of therapy for a patient.
1: In New York, you know, this particular patient wasn't so educated, but many of the patients that come to us are looking for this kind of thing and want, you know, an anti-angiogenesis agent or something like that. This particular person was not aware of it. His son was, though.
0: That's interesting. So what happened to him as he got the treatment? What was going on with the tumor?
1: He had tumor shrinkage after the bevacizumab alone. What we do is we... Wow, that's interesting. This particular study is... If they get the bevacizumab arm, patients can also participate in the study with squamous cell tumors, but they are not getting bevacizumab. Right. And patients with centrally located tumors are not getting bevacizumab. So the ones that are randomized to the bevacizumab get bevacizumab alone on day one, and they get imaged immediately before Hmm. with a volumetric CT scan. Then two weeks later, they come back for the chemotherapy portion, and they get imaged again. And so based on those first two CT scans, two weeks apart, he had shrinkage in his tumor. That's
0: amazing. In two weeks. And, you know, we don't know too much, I think, about bevacizumab by itself because it's mainly been tested with chemotherapy.
1: Right. everyone in this study is having that done.
0: That's fascinating. There was a trial in rectal cancer that was a little bit like that. I think there was only like 10 or 12 patients, but they again, they did just what you're doing. They gave the bevacizumab for a couple of weeks, saw what happened with the tumor, and then they added the chemo in. Right. So he had some shrinkage after the bevacizumab alone. How did he do with that first treatment of bevacizumab? Did they have any problems? No, none. So what happened, you know, a few months down the line after he was getting the bevacizumab and chemo together.
1: He did fine. Continued to work full
0: time. Can you kind of go through like, how long he was treated before they took him to surgery?
1: The preoperative treatment is four cycles, and they're given every three weeks, so about 12 weeks. But in this particular trial, it goes for 14 weeks because the bevacizumab is given by itself. Right. He had no doses of chemotherapy that were delayed. There was nothing that put him off. And so approximately three to four weeks after his last dose of chemotherapy, he went to surgery. Now, before the surgery, he was imaged from head to toe again, PET scan, CT scan, MRI of the brain.
0: And what did you see?
1: Some shrinkage of the
0: tumor. But he still had it. But he still had it. Would you say more than half of it had shrunk away or? Yes, he had a good response. But it was still there. On
1: imaging, yes.
0: So what happened when they went and did the surgery?
1: He had what we call a complete pathologic response, which was no viable tumor.
0: That's fascinating. And what was the explanation of what they were seeing on the CAT scan that they thought was tumor?
1: You know, scarring, dead cells that the body hadn't had time to take care of, you know, that kind of thing. He was also downstaged, although even though he had a pathologic complete response, they felt that Maybe, you know, his tumor maybe wasn't a 2 or something in the beginning, but they called him a stage 1A with a complete pathologic response at the end.
0: So bottom line was they didn't find any tumor at surgery. Correct. How did he tolerate the procedure itself? He did remarkably well. And what was his reaction when he found out the tumor was gone? Amazed. I imagine so. How about his son?
1: Totally amazed.
0: How about the whole team? I imagine everybody was. I don't think you see that too often in long No, place. you don't.
1: So he actually is a year post-op now, and he's been getting bevacizumab every three weeks. He had a dose yesterday. He has two more doses. He finishes on July 16th, and that's it.
0: What's his state of mind and the state of mind of his son? I guess this is not quite what they expected, huh?
1: No. He still has anxiety related to the potential for recurrence, even though he's been told he's probably cured. But he's a man who has a lot of anxiety, and again, this predated this illness. But he does have moments where he realizes this, and he's pretty relaxed. He's looking forward to retiring and moving to Florida. But in some ways, he just said yesterday he doesn't want to go. He feels like a little bit of a security blanket being in New York.
0: I guess it, too. It sounds like kind of a stressful thing going on with his wife.
1: It's very stressful for him. He has a hard time coping.
0: Now, I wanna ask you also about the other pre-op study that you mentioned looking at the TKI, but before we do, I just wanna pick up on one other comment that you made earlier. You were talking about the issue of the steroids that people get with the taxanes, in this case with dose attacks, one of the problems that, you know, people can get in terms of diabetes. In breast cancer, we have nab-paclitaxel, which is a taxane that doesn't have cremaphore, so it doesn't require the steroids. Right. What do we know about nab and research in nab and lung cancer, and how much of a benefit do you think it would be to utilize that agent for that reason?
1: Well, I mean, we've used Abraxane as part of a clinical trial, and there was no steroid premedication. We initially gave the drug over half an hour, And neuropathy was the dose-limiting toxicity. We then modified the protocol and extended the infusion to two hours. And everyone was able to complete six cycles of treatment with mild neuropathy, if any neuropathy, and good responses. But this was single-agent and fairly good responses, despite the fact that it was single-agent. So, I mean, it would be a wonderful thing.
0: I mean, as you saw those patients and compared to the ones who've gotten the other two taxanes and are having received steroids, do you think you could detect the benefit sort of not hearing the stories about insomnia, agitation, et cetera? Was that something you noticed?
1: Yes. And also, as you had mentioned earlier, nail changes... Yeah, we didn't see that, so that was pretty nice too.
0: How often do you see problems like insomnia and agitation enough that the patient kind of really gets bothered by it when they use Decadron for the taxines?
1: Almost everybody has some effect from the steroids, good and bad.
0: I guess the other thing about a Braxine that's been discussed is the shorter infusion time than the other taxanes. How do you think that plays out as an advantage?
1: Well, for us, I mean, it's really not, it's an hour shorter than Paclitaxel, which is three hours, but, you know, it's in there. It's hard to know. Patients are used to being there for a while, but we are giving it over two hours.
0: Now, you mentioned the study looking at ARESA or Gefitinib in the neoadjuvant setting. Mm -hmm. Is there any patient that we could talk about in a way similar to this man who was in that study?
1: Yeah, I have a man who actually he's had surgery as well. His lung cancer was detected on a preoperative chest x-ray for knee surgery that he was supposed to have. And he was a never smoker, and I believe he had a stage 1B lung cancer, very early stage. And most of the patients, we have trouble accruing to this protocol because most patients already come to us knowing that they have an early stage lung cancer. They've never had cancer before by participating in this trial we're asking them to wait you know approximately 5 weeks before they have surgery so that's a big negative on this trial most people just many people want to have the tumor removed period there are those who do agree to participate and not the majority but there are some who participate and this particular gentleman did very well it's a minimum of 21 days of gefitinib prior to surgery they're imaged on day one, and then they're imaged again on day 21 with a volumetric CT.
0: Now, can you talk a little bit about the background for this trial? Memorial Sloan Kettering, your institution, really has taken a leadership role in this whole issue of non-smoking predicting responses to the TKIs, Jafitnib and erlotinib. Can you talk a little bit more about what you all have learned about that?
1: There was just um, a paper published by our group, I believe it was Journal of Clinical Oncology. Fam was the first author. And what they looked at is patients who had resections of lung cancers, early stage lung cancers. And they looked at the EGFR mutation status of those tumors. And then retrospectively, they looked at smoking history. When patient walks through the door at Memorial, whether it's on the surgical side or the medical side, they fill out a form about their smoking history. Most patients also, whether they participated in a drug-related clinical trial, are almost always asked to provide tumor for our tissue bank and blood for our studies. So that we were able to do this. And what we found was that patients who either smoked no cigarettes or who smoked less than 15 pack years and were more likely to have EGFR mutations in their tumors. It wasn't exclusive to
0: that. Now, can you explain what the EGFR mutation is?
1: What they found is, is that EGFR is a pathway by which epithelial tumors grow. And when this pathway is activated aberrantly, it promotes all the hallmarks of malignancy, such as metastasis, tumor growth, inhibits apoptosis or natural cell death. By blocking this pathway, theoretically, you block one of the pathways by which tumors grow. So what we did at Memorial and what other people did was we looked at tumors that were positive for EGFR, and some of those tumors had a mutation in like in what we call exon 19 or exon 21 mutations, as well as other changes in their tumor compared with other people. And uh, it seemed that patients who had the mutation in their tumor did better with drugs, the EGFR TKI drugs. They responded to those, more likely to respond.
0: So the bottom line is that by identifying non-smokers, we can identify a group of people who are much more likely Correct. to respond to these TKIs. And I guess the idea in the studies is to sort of be able to look at the tumor and see what happens, look under the microscope, et cetera, and see how these people respond.
1: Correct. The other thing with non-small cell lung cancer patients is, is many of them, you have to have a hunk of tumor to do that. You can't do it with cytology from a needle biopsy. So the reason for looking at clinical characteristics that might predict response is because some of our patients we can't or they don't want to provide us with a piece of tumor that would be a more invasive procedure. So if the idea is that if you look at clinical characteristics like smoking history, you might say that someone who has a minimal smoking history, we can't get tissue from them, but we know that you're more likely to have this mutation and maybe are more likely to respond to these drugs.
0: So this man, when he came in for this discussion about the trial, was he by himself or did he have family members? He had his
1: wife with him.
0: And how did they respond to the idea of this study?
1: They were very reluctant to participate.
0: He wanted to sort of get the surgery done right away?
1: Correct. But he consulted with his private physician who advised him to participate. From the time they walk in the door to the time they get surgery, you know, looking at the schedules and everything, between two and three weeks is about the average time. So we're really not asking them to wait that much more.
0: And again, getting back sort of similar to the first man, I mean, this is a therapy that no way he's going to get this therapy if he goes into a community practice setting. Correct. And, you know, I mean, to me, if I'm the patient, I'm thinking about taking an agent that's not like chemotherapy. I mean, it's not easy, and we'll talk about that. But to me, again, it would be very appealing. So what was it, you think? Was it his physician sort of encouraged, or what was it that changed? I changes? think the
1: fact that his private physician, you know, agreed with the plan was what convinced him to participate.
0: So what happened when he started on the Jafitinib? And maybe I should ask, too, since right now Jafitinib really isn't available and not being utilized. I take it this study was sort of, has been around a while, or why is it that you're looking at this agent?
1: This study opened about the time that either Jafitnib was held or just before it was restricted. We're using this agent because we have more experience with it, longer history. We've been using it since 1999. And it's still available for clinical trials or people who've benefited in the past. So.
0: Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think it wasn't like it doesn't work. I guess Right, it, it's
1: not like it doesn't work, exactly. I
0: mean, it seems pretty similar to Erlotinib, although I guess there was a the consensus that Erlotinib presented some advantages in terms of anti-tumor effect. What actually happened so to this? It was
1: more survival, I think, than anti-tumor effect. If
0: right. We, well, you know, um, but that's
1: I, sort of debatable, too. Sure. I don't think the answer's out there yet.
0: What happened to this man,
1: He did very well. He actually experienced no side effects. No rash? No rash.
0: Hmm, How often do you see that with the TKIs, no rash at all?
1: Not that often. Usually we see... He had dry skin, so he had some skin changes, but no rash. Mm -hmm. Not all that often, but we do see it. So he actually had no side effects, and he went on to have surgery, and he had a good response to surgery, he was downstaged as well.
0: Now, on the imaging, as you were following him on the nib, what did you see?
1: He had some shrinkage of his tumor.
0: Was it dramatic? or No,
1: just a small amount. Of, I don't even know that he made a PR. Right. But what you see on the scans is not what the surgeon finds when they go in, necessarily. Right.
0: So what did they see at surgery?
1: His tumor was significantly reduced in size, but he did not have a pathologic complete response. But I believe he was also downstaged to 1A.
0: And how did he do with the surgery? Fine. And what happened after that? Did he get chemotherapy?
1: No, he was 1A, so chemotherapy wasn't recommended for him, but he is on post-operative gefitinib for two years. That's part of the program.
0: Interesting. How is he doing again? Still no rash?
1: No, nothing.
0: Wow, interesting. I would assume that a lot of people would have trouble staying on gefitinib for a couple of years. What are you saying?
1: We've had people who cannot stay on it for a couple of years. We've had some people who have elected not to take it after surgery because of side
0: effects. Mainly rash or anything else?
1: Mostly skin toxicity, some abdominal cramping, some diarrhea. The diarrhea is usually well controlled, but it's the abdominal cramping and the and the fatigue, believe it or not.
0: Huh? You know, it's really interesting to think about these two trials and these two patients, and really it's kind of exciting to hear about clinical research like this in lung cancer. Again, we've had this kind of approach in you know breast cancer and rectal cancer, but you know to hear these two innovative trials using biologics in the neoadjuvant or preoperative setting is really exciting.
1: It is, yeah.